Amen. Are there tears in your eyes like there are in mine? Mm. Oh. Mm. Have you ever had a welcomed interruption? Like you are very busy or stressed out with a task at work or studying for an exam, maybe for finals, or maybe trying to finish the sermon for Easter Sabbath, and you can barely keep your eyes open or your mind focused, and then you get a text from a friend inviting you to go grab a bite to eat or get some coffee, or your spouse comes in the room saying, hey, I'm going to watch the next episode of that show that we like together, and you jump at the chance for a break because you really need one. You've got to just step away and refresh and then come back. Or if you're a procrastinator like me, any other fellow procrastinators out there? I got a few. All right. Uh, you don't even need someone else to invite you to be interrupted. You do it very well on your own. If it is not quite the last minute yet, if there's still some time to be used up, you find yourself looking for anything to do but what you're supposed to be doing. And I do not just distract myself with any small task. I get the urge, I don't know if anybody else struggles with this, to start big projects when I have no time to do those projects and I have, should be spending time on the task that I'm supposed to be finish, finishing. But I want to do anything to avoid it, so I will start these huge projects. Like this past week, I started to reorganize our pantry which is like one of those nice walk-in pantries that wraps under the stairs, and it just became this catch-all. We couldn't even walk in there. And you may uh, uh, have assumed this already, but the week before Easter is very busy for my line of work. I did not have any time to reorganize the pantry, and yet I found time to do that. Well reorganize half of it, because I only had time to reorganize half of it. Then I had to get back to work. That's my problem. I start these big projects. Our front lawn is half mulched. Our backyard is half weeded. Our pantry is half organized, because I just don't have time to finish what I start. Pray for my wife, Beamy. She has to live with this every day. So if sometimes I welcome interruptions a little too much, and as I'm talking, realize that maybe I have some undiagnosed ADHD. Uh, but there are times, though, when it is a welcomed uh, interruption, where you really, really need it. But then there's other times when you don't welcome an interruption, like you have something very, very important to say. You've thought about it long and hard, and, and you're passionate, and the last thing you need is for someone to cut you off before you get that important point Cross. Or you have some incredibly important appointment to get to or tasks to complete. Maybe you are up against a deadline because you've wasted time procrastinating and there's no more time left. You've got to get it done. Maybe there's lots of people counting on you. Maybe what you're about to accomplish is so valuable, so vital, that everything else must wait until you finish it. In those circumstances, you cannot afford an interruption. There is a part of the resurrection account of Jesus that fascinates me. It fascinates me because Jesus has a very important task to complete. 
one that I think is absolutely vital for him to do, that he should be doing ASAP, and yet he welcomes an interruption. If you have your Bibles, let's open and read that time where he welcomes an interruption in John chapter 20, verse 11, which Linda just so powerfully and beautifully illustrated in her song when Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene after he has risen. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Ah, did you notice the important task that Jesus has to complete? He tells it to Mary. He says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet, what? Ascended to the Father. Jesus has risen from the grave, but he hasn't yet done his ascension. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you go back and study the sacrifices in the Old Testament that pointed to the sacrifice that Jesus would make for us, that ascension is a vital part of the redemption process. This is particularly illustrated in the burnt offering. You can go back this afternoon, if you want some really good reading, open to Leviticus chapter 1, and you can read about the burnt offering. And you will uh, be reminded there as you read it that the smoke of the burnt offering ascends to God, and it describes that it is a pleasing aroma to God. In fact, the Hebrew word for burnt offering literally means ascending. So a burnt offering sent smoke ascending to God for his acceptance. Similarly, Christ will ascend to heaven to receive acceptance from his Father. It is an absolutely important task to complete. But here's the fascinating thing. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene before he even went to heaven to have his sacrifice accepted by his father. The text seems to imply that he's going to go up right after he visits with her and then come back down and visit with the disciples later that day and for for several weeks after that to many other people. But before he even ascends at all, He interrupted the ascending offering of himself, the most important event in human history, to comfort and care for and commission Mary. Now he lets her know, uh, he lets her know, uh, I can't stay long. He says, don't hold on to me, which has been a text that has been misinterpreted by many people because in some of the older translations, it even says, do not touch me. 
And, and as we saw so powerfully in the play, Jesus is okay with people touching him and him touching others in order to change their life. A better understanding of what it, that, original, uh, that, language, or that word in the original language is, is not to be understood as touch, but cling. In fact, you get the impression, most scholars say, that it's implied that they are already embracing in this moment. And Jesus is trying to tell her, look, you can't keep clinging to me because I still have something important to do. But even though he has that important thing to do, he is interrupting it for her sake. Just when you thought Jesus could not express any deeper or any more profoundly his love for his people, as if the cross wasn't enough, as if conquering sin and death through the resurrection wasn't enough, he welcomes this interruption to have this tender moment with Mary, revealing yet again how much his heart is for his children. In his book, The Sanctuary and Salvation, Old Testament scholar Dr. Roy Gain says it, I don't know where that twang came out, Dr. Roy Gain says it this way, I was channeling my inner southernness, I guess I didn't have. He says this, Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. He didn't let his rendezvous with destiny keep him from turning aside to help someone in need. After all, helping people was the reason for his sacrifice in the first place. He didn't let his work of providing atonement for the whole world, important as it was, prevent him from caring for Mary's feelings. What an example of priorities. Do you think he is sensitive enough to care about your feelings? If you ever doubt that God loves you, remember what he has done. So what are we to do with this fascinating and tender moment of the resurrection story where Jesus and Mary encounters, when they encounter each other, and he welcomes this interruption? Well, I would like to say, first of all, that you and I need to do better at welcoming more interruptions in our life, specifically for the purpose of helping and comforting others. And I've got to tell you, family, this is something I struggle with. I can sometimes let preparing for a program or completing an important task keep me from turning aside to help someone in need. I don't think it was any accident then that just this past week, Somebody came and visited the church while I was here, hoping to get some uninterrupted study time done on Wednesday. I did not get her permission to share the story, so let's just call her Sylvia. Sylvia came on Wednesday. I was the only person over there in the Fireside Room building. And Sylvia is a sweet older lady who we have helped a handful of times over the years. She's not a member of our church, but we've helped through our community service ministry. So there I was. I had a million things to do. I had no longer any extra time to procrastinate because yesterday on Tuesday, I half reorganized our pantry. So I was out of time. I was working in my office and I hear a knock on the outside of the door at the fireside room building. As I said, no one else is here. And I hate to admit this, but my first thought was, should I just stay in my office and be quiet and not go out and see who's there? And I prayed, Lord, I just don't have any free time. I know I wasted some, but I just don't have any. And, and I was trying to justify it. You know, community service, if it's somebody for that, we, they know we're open on Tuesday, or they, at least they should. That's when our operating hours are, not on Wednesday. 
But of course, that didn't feel right. So I changed my mind, and I went outside, and there was Sylvia sitting down on the brick, you know, of where the landscaping is outside the door. I learned that she had walked over a mile to take two buses all the way over from Ukaipa Boulevard to come to our church. I invited her inside. She was tired, a little cold. And we spent some time and some more time, and pretty soon 30 minutes went by. 30 minutes I didn't have. But boy, was it a good amount of time spent with her. I learned that she really needed some help. And so I called Becky, our director of community service, who also happens to be someone who is willing to welcome interruptions to help other people. So Becky came and we got Sylvia some much needed help. I then had the privilege to give her a ride home. I wasn't going to let her walk all that way and take the bus back. And as we pull up into the mobile home park where she lives, up, up to her unit, she would not get out of the car. <laughs> she just turned to me and with tears flowing down her face, could not stop thanking our church for helping her. There wasn't any better use of my time that day than the one hour I spent helping Sylvia. Amen. She needed my help, but the truth is I needed hers. I needed her help to teach me to do better at welcoming interruptions like that. And I know we can't welcome interruptions all day, every day like that. I get it. But if you're like me, you could stand to welcome a few more. With those in need, with your coworkers, with your spouse, with your kids, find some time to welcome interruptions with those that need your comfort and care. That's the first thing I think we should do in response to this incredible moment that Jesus has with Mary. The second thing is I hope that you leave this place with a renewed sense of how much God loves you. I'm sure Mary experienced a renewed sense of Jesus' love for her when she saw that he was willing to interrupt his ascension in order to bring her care and comfort. And I hope reading how Jesus was willing to do that for her has renewed your sense of God's love for you. I know it sounds cliche, but God loves you with an unfailing, everlasting love. He's crazy about you. And there isn't anything that is going to make a bigger difference in your life than that. Pastor H.B. London, who used to work for Focus on the Family, writes about the difference God's love can make in his book entitled, They Call Me Pastor. Here's what he writes. Four doctors in surgical greens stood before Dave and Jana at Huntington Memorial Hospital in Pasadena. I stood by helplessly as one doctor spoke. Your baby has died of sudden infant death syndrome. We want to give you a chance to hold your child before we take her. I watched this young couple. Their shoulders shook with emotion as they held their firstborn for the last time. My mind raced to find something to say to the shocked young couple. I wanted to tell them that everything would be okay, but that wasn't true. Their baby was dead. All my pastoral training and experience seemed to fail me then. I could only say this with broken and slow words, Dave and Jana, I don't know why this awful loss has come to you, but I know God loves you as if you were the only ones in the world to love. That was one of his favorite sayings. 
I know that God loves you as if you were the only ones in the world to love. If you accept his love, he went on, if you believe he does love you, you'll make it. If you don't, you won't. Those were the only words I had for them. They seemed awfully empty at the time. I choked back my own emotions while they tried valiantly to cling to their newfound faith. In all the pain, I remembered what a precious time we had just a few weeks earlier when we dedicated their baby in the worship service. Now this. I confess that a few times in my ministry, the whys from my heart have almost made me quit. But something happened in that hospital room. Neither the couple nor I had words to ease or erase the pain, but a holy presence invaded that place. God joined the three of us, just as in the Old Testament story of the fiery furnace when God himself came to comfort Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We felt in the fiery trial of suffering an assurance that God was caring for us. One day, down the road, after coming to work for Focus on the Family, some years passed, I received a letter with a picture of Dave and Jana holding a beautiful baby. They wrote, H.B., you probably don't think we heard you when you encouraged us to cling to the love of God that day when our baby died. But we heard you loud and clear. So we have believed over and over that God loves us as if we were the only ones to love. We have learned to live in the love of God. We quote your words to each other often. Notice in the picture we are holding a beautiful new baby, God's special gift to us. We don't understand why we lost our first child. We still hurt when we think about it. But we live one day at a time in the love of God, and we are finding that to be enough. I have no doubt that you also will find his love to be enough for you. Lord, we crown you today. We praise you, our living God, who has saved us, who has given us victory over sin and death. And Lord, even in the midst of all that, which is more than we could ever imagine, you also make your presence available to us to bring us comfort, to shower us with your love. You care about what we are journeying through every single day. Thank you, Lord. May we surrender to your love today and be willing to be interrupted like you were for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.